Hello, this is Angela Schaefers, the host of Your Story Matters radio show. Today we have a very special guest, Mike Errett, and he is here to share about his amazing journey across America and his project, Project America Run. He is an Army vet and a prior U.S. postal worker. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Angela. I'm very excited about sharing about Project America Run and talking about honoring our veterans. But before we do that, I'd love for you to share with our listeners some of your background and your story about how it all evolved for you to become part of the military and do what you do. I enlisted my junior year of high school back in 1978, and I served from 79 through 83 in the Army as a uh, heavy equipment operator and a combat engineer unit in Germany. And, uh, you know, it was back in the, um, the Cold War days. Russia was still big, and I think Granada was going on. And um, it was, uh, you know, at, at a young age, it was a uh, very uh, important thing for me to do. And I look back on it now that I'm, you know, 50 years old, and it was, uh, it was a very honorable thing. Mm-hmm. And I think serving in the military is um, one of the most responsible or honorable acts that a citizen of the country can do. And through that, I never forgot that. I never forgot that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, um, through the Iraq thing, and Afghanistan, but, but mainly Iraq, I, wa- I wanted to um, do my own personal tribute to those who had died in Iraq. And I mm-hmm. wanted to say thank you for their service. And it was nothing political. It was purely uh, my own way of saying thank you and, and creating a wall of flags across the country. Mm-hmm. I love that. Did you come from a military family, or what was it that you think at that young age instilled that ideal in you of wanting to fight for your country and fight for our freedom? I think it was a realization at a young age that, I, you know, I was very fortunate to, to live where I lived, and, and at that age I realized that I that what I had and, and who I was and where I was was totally due to the sacrifices of the military. Mm-hmm. And so I felt obligated to do my part. I didn't come from a military family. Um, no one in my family before or since has served in the military. Hmm. Um, I just wanted to do my part. That's awesome. I love that. And thank you for sharing that because I think it's important, especially for our young people, to realize the sacrifice and commitment that people make when they decide to enlist in the armed services and to fight for our freedom in our country. Yes, you know, it is It is interesting because, um, you know, when I looked at the, uh, the basis for what Project America Run was, when I looked at the obituaries in the paper from those that had died in Iraq, you know, they, they could have done many things with their lives. Mm-hmm. They could have been more self-serving over here, and a lot of them were. I mean, there was a lot of police officers, firemen, teachers, doctors, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they chose. To, to defend their country, and that's, uh, you know, that's an honorable thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Knowing full well that there was a war ahead of them, and they knew that. Right. And yet they still chose to serve, and that's quite honorable. That is. I, that definitely is, and I agree with you completely. How is it that you think your life has been shaped from your four years in the service? Because we always hear stories about how people go in as one person, and certainly you were quite young, and come out as another. What was it that you gained from that experience and that impacted your story the most? I would say probably, you know, I I, I was very young then, and, you know, and, and we're easily influenced at a young age. Mm-hmm. I think seeing the world, you know, being overseas, and seeing the stark reality of uh, 
of a border that held people in, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing communism firsthand and then, you know, realizing the freedoms in our country compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. That uh, had definitely had an effect on me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we get caught in our own little bubble. Exactly. I think it's a perfect world. And, well, every once in a while I, re- I remind people, you know, Go to another country, a third world country, and see mm-hmm. what it's really like before mm-hmm. we complain. Yeah, exactly. I think that's very valuable for you to mention because there are so many times that all of us tend to take for granted what we have right here before us, or we complain about the things that you know aren't just quite what we want or aren't just quite right. But there's yet so much freedom and so many things available to us here in the U.S. And through the the Project America Run, I mean. In many countries, you know, had I went, had was I a citizen of that country, and had I went across that country planting flags, you know, I could have very well ended up in a prison somewhere because I was someone would interpret it as speaking out against the government, mm-hmm. you know. But yet I had the freedom in this country to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very uh, good point. I love that. So, what was it that really led up to you deciding to do Project America Run? embark on this major journey that you have? Well, uh, for years I had been fascinated, you know, with with our country, crossing it on foot. But had I done it for my own selfish reasons, you know, just, just to do it to accomplish something, then, you know, I, I probably would have quit halfway mm-hmm. and said I'd seen enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say it was a bowl of lightning that struck me. Uh, you know, I was sitting... Uh, in a post office in Crested Butte, Colorado, and I was, I was reading these obituaries and seeing these faces, and I realized, you know, we had the Vietnam Wall, we had World War II Memorial, Korea, every war had their memorial, and just this little voice said, okay, Mike, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, your mission's not complete. Mm. It may have taken you 30 years to figure out what it is. Right. And it just kind of clicked in my head, well, you're going to go across the country, and you're going to put a flag each mile, and on each flag is going to be a yellow ribbon, with their name, age, rank, and hometown. And you're going to do them in order of how they died. And you're going to create your own wall. That's awesome. I, mm. So in my mind, you know, it, you know, I knew flags would be picked up. Flags would, uh, you know, through act of God, be blown away. But in my mind, for the briefest instant, there would be this moment of permanence each mile. Mm-hmm. And that, that service member would have that mile with me and, you know, I, I read every name, and I stopped and saluted every flag when I placed it. Mm. And um, so that that was my mission. Once I got started, um, you know, there, there was never never a day that I woke up not wanting to go out. I absolutely loved each day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's incredible. <laughs> and you actually ran the whole way, is that correct? Yes, I, um, I, I ran oh, 99% of the time. I pushed a jogger stroller that carried 300 flags at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took three years of planning to logistically um, put the route together to put uh, to find host families, mm-hmm. and, and these were families that I didn't even know. Right. But that would be there at the end of each day because I would do 30 miles a day, mm-hmm. and I could end up out in the middle of nowhere. But I knew that someone was going to be there to pick me up. Right. And they take me home, feed me, and bring me back the next morning and drop me off. And uh, so, you know, it was 
it wasn't only me. It was the enlistment of, you know, these host families that were a very mm-hmm. integral part of the project. Mm-hmm. That is an amazing way to create community, to really bring together people who care about a cause such as supporting those who have lost their life for others. I love that. How is it that you went about getting the names for the people that you wrote on the flag? Well, we, uh, we went to icasualty.org, and it had chronological order of, of the death. Uh, from from uh, I believe March twenty third two thousand three, and and I might be wrong on that, but there's a lot of dates and a lot of names I went through, but uh, we did reverse chronological order of mm-hmm. the deaths because I wanted to have a it was purely psychological as the miles increased I wanted the names to decrease mm-hmm. in my head and so that the last flag placed was actually the very first fatality in Iraq. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I wanted it to be Iraq because at the time, you know, Afghanistan was in its infancy, so to speak, and it was very difficult to, two different things to put them all together. So I just focused on Iraq. Mm-hmm. And it took a thousand feet of yellow ribbon. It took uh, well over nine months to handwrite each ribbon and put it on a flag, uh, bundle them in bundles of 30, mm-hmm. boxes of 300. And then to, you know, see where those boxes were going to be sent according to my schedule. Um, so everything had to, it was a military operation, mm-hmm. really. I imagine that your military experience and training helped you to do all this, because that's a huge project that not many people could really have a grasp on to make it all work and be in sync as you've done so. I, I certainly think that, you know, and just maybe... Like the experience of getting older, you know, you want to you want to cover all the bases um, mm-hmm. because there there could be no room for error on this. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as you know, my host and and the shipping of flags and you know, I chose the probably the most important thing was to go alone. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want a car with me. I didn't want an RV behind me mm-hmm. because it took away the purity of of meeting America. Mm-hmm. And and I and I truly believe that. The real mm-hmm. America is in is in uh, rural America. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So I chose to travel alone. That's awesome, and I understand that you did not make any money off of this. You weren't um, taking donations or anything to help support you through this. So you actually funded this all yourself. You know, I had some help from good red, white, and blue friends that helped with um, some of expenses. But I had a wonderful sh- shoe company, Bass, that. That gave me 19 pairs of shoes that got me across the country. You know, shoes would, you'd go through a lot of them, about every 250 miles. I can imagine. But, you know, it really wasn't too expensive. You know, I guess the biggest expense would be the host family buying me with food for dinner. Mm-hmm. They ate really well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that you had that kind of service from people around you that wanted to support your mission. I love that. I would love for you to share with the listeners some of the stories that you discovered on your journey. Because as you said, this is all about the American people and the lives you know you come across and that you've touched and that have touched you. What are a couple of the stories that really encouraged and inspired you along the way? Probably one one that stands out, and there was a couple. first one that stands out was uh, I, I was in Colorado on a remote stretch of road. Now, I had a special program written in my iPhone that had the complete list of, of service members. So when I placed, for example, your flag, 
your name was on my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And I would hit that, and it sent a GPS signal to my website, and that recorded the location of your flag. Now, people could also go on there. They could locate where a flag was. They could see an estimated date of flag placement. Mm -hmm. But long story short, uh, a mother drove 27 hours from Alabama, and she was waiting for me on the road. And because she knew on that day that her son's flag was going to be placed and she wanted to be there for that. So we, um, that was probably one of the times I walked, <laughs> we walked a mile together and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I said, you know, tell me, tell me about your son. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about her son and she told me about him and then placed the flag and, and saluted it and pulled the flag and gave it to her. And, uh, she said her biggest fear probably the same as any other parent who has lost a son or a daughter, was mm-hmm. that their family members would be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that's, that's not going to happen because, you know, this is his spot. This stretch of road, this is John Eric Loney's spot. And she got back into her car and she drove back to Alabama. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That is extremely touching and so uh-huh. meaningful. And here you are, one person reaching out to make a difference in her life and to bring, as you said, that permanent memory for her son. Very, very touching. Were there other things that you learned about people or even yourself along this journey? I mean, that's a lot of time to be out there on your own. And uh, um, I guess one thing that stands out, too, is how it affected not only immediate friends and families from Iraq, but also other veterans. I was uh, in almost into Nebraska. And an older gentleman had stopped to talk to me and, you know, asked me what I was doing. I told him. And so we chatted a bit and he moved on. He had Minnesota plates on his car. Well, about a week later, a guy shows up and he asks if he can run with me, Mm -hmm. young guy. And I said, sure. So he runs three miles with me and we start talking. He says, yeah, you met my dad last week. Mm. And he told me, when you come up here to Nebraska, get on the website this emergency spot beacon that he has on his stroller will tell you his location. I want you to go out and find him. Mm-hmm. And I want you to bring that little glass jar that's in the hutch, and I want you to give it to him. Mm-hmm. And so this guy hands me this little glass jar, and in it is black sand and black rocks. Mm-hmm. He said, my dad was on Iwo Jima, the first wave. We've had this in our hutch for over 70 years. He wants you to have it. Wow. Wow. What a and gift. Yeah, and it just floored me. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he said, my dad said to tell you, you'll never know the ripple effect of how vets of all generations Mm -hmm. um, say thank you for what you're doing. That's awesome. Love it. I'm sure there are so many amazing stories. And I know you have a blog at your website. Have you shared some of these stories and experiences there? On the Project America Run website, um, there is a blog spot. And the stories from the road are archived from May through October for the whole run, so people can read, you know, all, all kinds of things that happen. And that's projectamericarun.org? Dot com. Dot com. Okay, projectamericarun.com. And you are helping to support honoring our veterans. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization and what they do? Yes, honoring our veterans, they're based out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they provide social and rehabilitative um activities for wounded vets from Afghanistan and Iraq. So in the spring, or excuse me, in the early summer, and then in the fall, they bring in uh, about 10 vets for a week of activities in Jackson Hole. And uh, I was just down there this past week and spent three days with them. And uh, 
they did a whitewater trip and some horseback riding, Yellowstone. It's all just to, to help them and, and to thank them and to do something for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they were connected with Project America Run, and people actually went to the uh, to the website, and we had a, a sponsor a flag link, and that's where people could go in there for. Um, fatalities from Iraq, and they could sponsor a friend or family member's flag, and all that went directly to honoring our veterans. That's wonderful. I love that you're doing that and helping support definitely a needed and worthy cause. There's people all over America that need assistance when coming home from being out serving and dealing with the different things of being based far away from home and not having the things that they need and certainly coming home sometimes with injuries and other issues that they have to face. So what would you say is the main thing that you learned from this whole experience as far as going out and doing the project and running? You know, I I would say that, you know, despite what we read and and despite what we hear and despite what we see on television and, and newspapers and that, we're still an extraordinary country, mm-hmm. you know, with extraordinary people who have uh, extraordinary lives. Mm. And um, I, I guess I'm just very thankful that, you know, who I am and where I am and what I have is is here, mm-hmm. that it is in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're saying is valuable, too, because it's really about, you know, our show, Your Story Matters, You Matter. And that's the thing is that all of us have something to contribute. And when we think about having a positive impact on our community, our country, our city, whatever it is, we can make a difference collectively. Yes. Mm-hmm. What would you say will be um, on the agenda for you in the future? How will you continue to support honoring vets? Well, I just, um, actually, I just finished a run across Spain. And that was for the Afghanistan casualties. And that actually had just ended probably about, well, a week ago, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. And on that, um, and it's, you know, it's people say, God, why'd you go to Spain to run 500 miles? And, well, I've pretty much seen a lot of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually carried all the casualties on paper uh, in a small pack on my back, and I carried it on an ancient uh, pilgrimage route of, people have been using for 1,200 years, and I went uh, from the French border across Spain to the Atlantic mm-hmm. um, to a cathedral that houses the tomb of St. James the Apostle mm. and carried the uh, fatalities there and uh, then went out as far as you could on the coast where they once took uh, ancient gladiators and let them have their final hours of peace before they died and uh, had my moment with the men and women from Afghanistan, and my mission was complete for them. That's awesome. I love that you were able to do that. I was reading about that at your website, and that sounds like a wonderful and amazing experience. How were you greeted by people in Spain as far as doing the run and anyone you were able to talk to and share about what you were doing? You know, that's interesting. I, you know, I was fairly quiet about it because, um, you know, you're, you're in another country, mm-hmm. and we, we all, people on the, on the route, we're all on their own. For whatever reason, they're out there, and they have their own reasons. But people I did talk about it to, they were really taken aback mm-hmm. by, I guess, maybe the gesture. Mm-hmm. And um, and oftentimes, you know, you get a look of bewilderment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're, you're kidding, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And then, if you know, if I brought up Project America around, they're like, okay, you're kidding, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. But, uh, 
they were really, um, I guess, struck by the gesture, mm-hmm. um, which oftentimes, you know, I I don't look at it that way as a gesture. I just look at it as a uh, um, a mission of uh, compassion and thanks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that because I think we all have the ability to do something about our own mission of compassion and thanks. And I think that part of what you're doing, Mike, is setting an example for many people to do something. We often hear that we can't do anything, we can't change anything, we can't help. But even things such as what you've done and are doing are powerful and they mean something, whether it's to the masses or to that one individual mother out there who lost their child. Uh, it's important. You, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something as huge and vast and expansive as running across the country, mm-hmm. you know. It can be as simple as, you know, helping Joe or Jill down the road mm-hmm. with a single mom or a single parent or an older person, mm-hmm. you know, doing something for someone else. Right. I know? agree. Mm-hmm. Um, just just passing it along. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll do one. It, it does wonders for your mental state, you know, the fact that you're helping someone else and, um, it's just really good for the world. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it, as you mentioned earlier, it creates a rip, ripple effect. When you're doing one good thing for someone else and touching one life, that goes on and on and on. And I think sometimes we don't realize <coughs> the impact and the power of you know what we can do by just being thankful for others and for things that you know we could have never done ourselves, but others have stepped in and done something about it. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and everybody has a story. And, and I think a lot of times in this country, we're, we're way too quick. And I've been guilty of it in the past. Mm-hmm. Way too quick to judge people. That's right. You know, the guy, you know, in tatters pushing his grocery cart across the parking lot to his beat up old car. You know, that could be a guy that fought for your freedom. That's they right. Could, uh, we, we don't know their story. And I found that out on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, people would come up and talk to me and... Uh, just you know the Iwo Jima guy mm-hmm. he had no clue mm-hmm. um, but I think we're way too quick to judge and, and we really shouldn't I agree I think that's really really important and as you said everyone has a story and we never know and I encourage people all the time share some of your story and ask someone else about their story because that in fact is what creates community and connection and communication which are things that are so valuable to actually feed into not having war and conflict and bad things happen. Absolutely. People on the run last year, I never talked politics and I never talked, you know, people would ask me what my take was on Iraq or mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And and I, you know, refused to uh, taint the purity of the project of those who had died by, by going into that. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, it's the world is what it is. And throughout the history of mankind, you know, we've, We've had war. We'll have war for probably long after you and I are gone. Mm-hmm. We just seem to fight over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the unfortunate thing. But, you know, if we can add a little bit to our world here, mm-hmm. to your neighborhood, to your town, to your state, you know, to your uh, best friend, if you can add a little bit to their life, well, it makes the world more bearable to live in. That's right. I agree with that. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree. There's not always a reason to get into debates and conflicts 
just sometimes it's all about doing the right thing and doing a good thing and a nice thing and serving others. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the listeners what was one of the biggest challenges you've had on this journey and how did you deal with that? I guess the biggest challenge was from day one was, you know, not looking down the road. If I had looked at the big picture, if I had looked at 4,400 miles Mm -hmm. in in five and a half months, it, it would have overwhelmed me. I could handle eight hours a day. I, I knew that, you know, in my lifetime, there were a lot of eight-hour days that I probably did a lot of nothing at my job. Right. Who knows? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I knew I could move forward for eight hours, mm-hmm. and I could handle today. Right. So the biggest obstacle mm-hmm. was just staying focused on that, because I knew that one day I would look up and there would be the Atlantic, mm-hmm. and, and I knew it would be there. That was the biggest obstacle, just staying focused on today. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great tipped in dealing with life in general is that you know we get caught up in looking at the future and what's next and how do we deal with you know five years or ten years or six months yeah and as you said when we focus on our mission for today which is hopefully living our purpose doing something of value we can do it absolutely i love that very encouraging and inspiring for our listeners out there Uh, What would you say to the listeners who feel like they want to do something to help, to make a difference, and yet they don't know really where to start or how to go about that? Because as you said, not everyone has to do something as powerful and impactful as what you've done, but people like to do something. And and where would you suggest they start to figure out how that would work out best for them? I think everyone has a skill, whether it's uh, communication or job-related, whatever. But I think, you know, volunteering your time, be it, you know, with young men and women, be it in a nursing home, be it just sitting, listening with your neighbor who is old and just wants someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, give your time to someone else. Mm-hmm. You know? um, because, again, you know, maybe I'm wrong speaking for the listeners, but I think we can all agree that in our lifetimes... We've wasted a lot of time, maybe mm. on that computer, maybe a lot of it moaning and groaning about the world around us. Well, just take a fraction of that time and do something for someone else. Absolutely. Um, I love that, and I think that is the best advice you could give to anyone. And it certainly helps you to get out of your own feeling of despair or hopelessness or discouragement. I tell people all the time, as soon as you start thinking and doing for other people, What's happening with you will seem a lot less discouraging and hopeless and impossible because it all kind of starts to turn around into some positive things and good things. Sure. And and this is a prime example. There was a a young girl who who met me on the road in Colorado, and she said, I heard about you on television, and I wanted to come out and walk with you. Mm -hmm. Well, she actually brought her bike, and she rode, and I ran. Mm-hmm. And she would place a white rose down every time I placed a flag. Mm. And now her name was Callie. And the interesting thing about her, she was only 13 years old. Wow. Okay. And she had lost her leg below the knee mm. to a uh, form of uh, dwarfism, bone disease, where the rest of her body grows, but her bones don't. And she lost her right leg. Mm-hmm. And uh, next year, she's going to lose it above the knee. Mm. The year after that, she'll need a hip replacement. She survived 14 major surgeries, bacterial mm. spinal meningitis. The interesting thing about Callie is 
She has this prosthetic leg, and it's all camouflaged. She has every logo of every branch of the military on it. She has a guardian angel on it, which represents our troops, and the butterflies that are for the guardian angels that have died. Now, she goes around to VA hospitals, mm-hmm. and she talks to vets who have lost limbs. And she pulls her leg off, and she talks into it and says, Look, your life is not so bad. <laughs> And she encourages them, and she brings a smile, and she makes them laugh. Now, this girl's 13 years old. Wow. That's and amazing. If I think back 13 years ago, what I was doing, it was probably not a lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. And when I look at her and see what she does for others at such a young age, and as her mother said, she says, you know, I'm not raising a child who's different, Mike, because of her leg. I'm raising a child who I think is going to make a difference in other people's lives. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. What a way to wrap up today's show. Thank you, Mike, so much for sharing about your story and your journey. And again, if any listeners want more information, you can go to www.projectamericarun.com and find out more about Mike's journey so far and hopefully get involved in helping support the cause. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thank you.